It's great for us to be together to worship in this house. Uh, I want to thank those of you that were praying for me that I would actually get back from Houston this week. For those of you that didn't know, I went uh, to Houston for an infusion and it ended up my blood count was way too low. Uh, long story short, by the end of the week I had received six units of blood uh, that got my hemoglobin back up to where it needed to be. And I can honestly say, not just spiritually is there power in the blood, but there is actually power in the blood. So, and uh, I'm thankful for the care I received, and I'm glad that I could be home with my wife and family and with my church family. Um, I don't know if you realize this, but we're in the midst of a year-long series on leadership. In September, we talked about just kind of the basics of, uh, of leadership, and in October, we talked about the giftedness that God gives us so that we can be leaders in our own areas. And so starting in November, we started this making of a leader, and we focused November and December on the Apostle Peter. And now we're focusing on the Apostle Paul in January and February, and then we're going to go into the Old Testament and look in the book of Joshua. But I want you to know that we're not just highlighting Peter and the, and the Apostle Paul as leaders. We're seeing leadership all around us. The people that take our offering, the people that are serving behind the scenes, the people that are leading in worship. Uh, we're developing leaders by taking young people uh, in this situation, uh, Joshua, to Mexico, he did a fantastic job. And so everything is about the cultivating and the development of leaders because Jesus gave us one command. That one command we must do well, and that is make disciples. And today, I have the privilege of introducing my friend Taylor Williams. Now some of you have never heard of Taylor Williams. You're wondering where has this old bald guy come from? Now, believe it or not, he's actually younger than I am. I know I look much, much younger than him, but I was actually his youth pastor in the 90s, and uh, he graduated from Jackson in 95, then went off to Kent State for uh, business. I knew he was, Big Ten companies were pursuing him, and one day I got a call and he came into my office and said, listen, I feel God is calling me into ministry and here he is at the end of his business degree. Well, God did take him a different direction. Uh, the, one of the biggest blessings, I think he would agree, is he married way up in Joanna and uh, I was able to officiate that wedding in 2000 and he has been in many different positions. Um, he was the lead pastor recently at Whipple Heights, uh, uh, Whipple Heights CMA Church, but in the, how many years have you been with Arrow now? Yeah, almost four. Okay, for the last four years, he has been the director of uh, leader engagement? Sounds good, yeah. Something like that, yeah. okay. <laughs> but basically, he wants to come alongside of men and women and help them refocus so that they can be the leader that God has designed them to be. And now he's Dr. Dr. Mm. Taylor Williams, mm. but he's also has 
an incredible pastor's heart. <laughs> and so I would like us to give him a warm welcome because he'll be preaching this week and next week. Thank yeah. you, Taylor. Yeah, no worries. No worries. It's good. Uh, yeah, I'm going to move this back so I don't like knock it over, if that's okay. And it's a lot heavier than it looks. It's good. Well, hey, I uh, appreciate the intro. Uh, intro slash roast, uh, you know, goes <laughs> either way, which is good. And uh, so good to be with you all. I, um, I was joking. I wasn't really looking at the um, which bulletin to grab. So if you're new here, like I am, I grabbed, I grabbed this by accident. Um, the North Canton Winter Concert out there, and uh, <laughs> unbelievable worship set, but I was actually waiting to hear the five-note blues, and uh, it's supposed to be the first song this morning, but uh, so if you're new and you grab that, know you're in good hands, because I'm right there with you, and uh, it's good. Well, hey, I have a, um, yeah, it is a pleasure, and I know you probably hear that every week uh, when people stand up and say, it's a pleasure to be with you, and this and that, and um, uh, I think, I don't know the word is pleasure. Um, uh, just an incredible sense of humility uh, to get to be here with you all. Uh, I've been journeying with your church, kind of, kind of in the background, kind of seeing how it was birthed in a heart and coming to fruition. Uh, seeing a leader that I have incredible respect for, that uh, in some ways could continue to coast. Uh, Andy Stanley talks about coasting cost everybody. Yet, yet seeing a leader that I look up to that said, you know, I refuse to coast. I want to stay engaged. I want to do something kind of audacious for the king. Uh, and to see, to see this here this morning uh, as a outpouring of a leader that kind of stepped out. Amen? Oh. Oh. Mission view. Mission view. Okay, so quick theology and amens. Okay, so... An amen is a theological term that just says, I agree, all right? So when a pastor says something that you agree with, you just go, amen. Amen? Yeah, yeah so good, because we're used to doing the kind of the white person nod. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And like, something about amen kind of wakes you up. Amen? Yeah, and it kind of makes you go, man, if I say it, there's like accountability there, and my wife heard me say it, so now she heard me say it, so now she's going to be watching me throughout the week, all right? So that's why we've learned just to not say it. I want to encourage you, say amen when it's time to say amen, all right? And not talking, I know, amen, it's good, <laughs> it's good, I know. Well, hey, I have um, kind of... Um, a unique text, I think, in lots of ways. We're going to be in Acts chapter 11. And so if you have your Bible, if you have your uh, Bible app, uh, if you want to look up, I think, on the screen, uh, you can check it out, Acts chapter 11. And uh, the next couple of weeks, I have an opportunity just to walk with us a bit uh, through, I think, two unique texts. But both texts kind of lend itself to not a kind of sit back and observe kind of posture. There are some texts that we can preach where it's easy to sit there and go, hey, pastor, teacher, dude, uh, I'm kind of beat up right now in my story. I'm not really feeling so good about my own story. Can you say something to make me feel better about me? And can you, can you just say something that's going to kind of make me say, boy, I'm glad I came to church this morning. In the next couple of weeks, I wish I could just come up with a real simple message that just kind of says, hey, uh, Jesus loves you, and he's got a plan for your life, and it's all good. And we would all go... Yeah, 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 right? But there's more to the story. And I think that's what we're trying to get across the next couple of weeks, is that there's more to our story. And what's more to our story, I think, is actually a game changer. 
In our text this morning, I could preach it from two different ways. In one way, we could just look at it from a cognitive, kind of like, hey, I'm going to look into the story, and I could summarize it real quick. So this out of here, I'd say, listen, there's a story of a man named Peter. Peter had a dream. And in this dream, he said, I want you to go to people that don't yet know me. And all of a sudden from there, there was a few people that went this way and a few people that went that way. And by the time they got over here, some people knew Jesus and some people didn't know Jesus. And I can say that's kind of the story for today. We'd all sit back, we'd go drink coffee, we'd go about our week and go, man, that's a good story. What I love about scripture is that scripture is not a book that we're supposed to look into. Scripture is a living, active document, a living, active God's word that we're supposed to find ourselves in and we're supposed to find our story in. Every man, woman, and child has an opportunity to find their story in this story. So whether the youngest in here to the oldest in here, whether it's your first week here or you've been in church since you were a little person, Today, God has a fresh story for you. And if we don't believe that, if we don't fully, fundamentally believe that God has a fresh story that he wants to reveal to us right now in this moment, I would ask you before you hear anything, before I say anything, just under your breath in your spirit, say, God, give me the word you want me to hear right now. I preached my first sermon. I was thinking about it coming over here. Uh, almost 19 years ago at a little church in Morgan County, Ohio. And I remember as part of a Asbury Seminary, I had to like write out, so I had to have people kind of pass out little like reviews of me and everything. And when the reviews came in, I sat down with my pastor and he said this, it was, so, it was, it was amazing. I was looking, thinking back. He said, lots of passion, believes in what he says, walks around a lot, kind of walks around, two statements said, kind of walks around like an expectant father waiting for his child to be born. And I thought about it, and I thought about coming over here, and I said, God, help me just stay calm and stay relaxed for the people in Mission View. Church, this morning, I want to tell you, may we always have a posture of expectation. Amen? Amen. May we always believe that God wants to do something new in our midst. Because if we don't believe it, let me tell you, there's no way we're going to embrace within this passage. So if you're in Acts chapter 11, say amen. amen. Man, it's up there. That is so good. Good job, people back there. So before we hop into verse 19 of chapter 11, I think it's important that we begin with chapter 4, or verse 4 of chapter 11. In verse 4, this man named Peter, we're going to look at a couple of people this morning. We're going to find ourselves following their journey. So here's our first one. Peter began, explained everything to them precisely as it happened. And we're going to talk about it here in a minute. And this is what he says in verse 5. He said, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision. He said, I saw something like a large sheet being let down from heaven. By its four corners, it came down to where I was. Verse 6, I looked into it, and I saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, reptiles, birds of the air. Then I heard a voice telling me, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Verse 8, I replied, surely not, Lord. Nothing impure or unclean has ever entered my mouth. The voice spoke from heaven a second time. He said, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times. And then it was all pulled up to heaven again. This text goes on, verse 11 to 18. It begins to talk about how people were trying to process what Peter had just said. And we pick, we're going to pick the text up in verse 19. Before we hit to 19, I want to give you a little context of what's happening. My task this morning is to give you the first kind of take on leadership. And we're going to be talking about leadership as being a, one of a servant leader. 
Now, when you, hear, when you talk about the word servant, a lot of us think about, as Steve was talking about, people that are serving in the background, people that are serving bulletins, people that are serving here, serving there, serving all around. I want to challenge that kind of take on service. And I want to try to argue this morning for a few minutes that I think what God's inviting us to, for any man, woman, child that's willing to embrace it, is to be a servant leader today. It's about having the audacious audacity to tell your story in a service-like posture to someone that doesn't know Jesus. Did you catch it? A true servant of Jesus is not someone that just is serving in the background, serving at church, acting out the, the gifts that they've given them. I want to argue this morning that a posture of service is someone that's willing to live their life in a way that they are willing to do whatever it takes outside of sin to make sure every man, woman, and child has multiple opportunities to say yes or no to Jesus. And that's where most churches would say amen. amen. Well, that wasn't like a guilt trip. It was just like a, just a perspective. Our first servant we see this morning is Peter. We know Peter's story. Fierce follower of Jesus. We know his story. Committed. Sometimes a bit random. Sometimes does stuff off the cuff. Sometimes unprofessional in his approach. We know Peter, the one that Jesus said, upon you I will build my church. Isn't it fascinating? We'll see next week this administrator, the sovereign God, that it's Peter who he chooses to have this amazing dream. So what's been happening up to verse 19? Up to verse 19, uh, Jesus has come. He's lived. He's died. He's ascended. There's a group of people just like us that are assembled, and we're trying to live out this message, this great commission. Go make disciples of all people. Yet we had a misunderstanding of the word all. Man, church, I wonder sometimes if we still have a misunderstanding of the word all. How do we know Peter did? Peter has such a fierce misunderstanding of the word all that he was doing what he was supposed to be doing. He was following the ways of his, of his Savior. He was following the scripts that he followed all throughout the Old Testament. Yet, 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 Scripture declares that his message was only going to one group of people. And that was his fellow Jew. The ones that he believed were the chosen ones. The ones that he believed were the ones that should be coming to Jesus. The ones that he believed, fundamentally down deep, were the only ones allowed to come to Jesus. Church, I wonder if there's somebody in your life right now that if you were honest, and if I was honest when I looked upon their life, I declare outside of an amazing act of God, there is no way they're ever going to come to Jesus. Do you have that person in your mind right now? The issue is not whether God can bring them to Jesus. What we're going to see with a posture of service is, am I willing to take Jesus to them? Peter wasn't willing, obviously. Peter was struggling with this. So Jesus in sovereignty, first servant leader Peter, he has an incredible dream. Crazy dream, birds, reptiles, wild beasts of the air, all these crazy things happening. Bottom line is this. He was trying to communicate to Peter what I have deemed, what do not call anything impure that God has made clean. What he's trying to communicate to Peter is saying he's communicating to you and I today. If Jesus has chosen every man, woman, and child this side of heaven to have an opportunity to come to him. None of us in this room this morning should play the role of judge. None of us should play the role of saying no or yes to someone when it comes to salvation. We should have a posture of taking Jesus to every man, woman, and child at any given time outside of sin. 
Now, we say amen here. We say we get that. But for Peter, this would have been radical. For Peter, this would have been hard to get his mind around. It's not what had been taught. It's not what had been modeled. It's not what he had seen throughout his, his journey up to this point. So, so this first servant had a radical moment he had to embrace. First, he had to ask, is this really of God? And if he says, if I believe it's of God, then what am I supposed to do about it? I'm so thankful for Peter. I'm thankful, as we'll see next week, that God chose the right man at the right time to lead because Peter didn't, uh, he didn't keep it to himself. He didn't hide it. Um, he went forth. And he began to share. And it picks up our text this morning in verse 19. If you're in verse 19, say amen. Here it is. Verse 19, it says this, so now those who had been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, telling the message only to Jews. Verse 20, some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. Verse 21, the Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. You see, after Peter had this incredible dream of Jesus, Peter, in boldness, said, hey, you know what? I'm going to take God for what he says he is, that if he says that Gentiles are worthy of receiving the gospel, then I'm going to take the gospel to the Gentiles. And you know what the problem of it is? Some people began to say, is this allowed? Is it not allowed? But there were some that saw the fruit of what was happening. Isn't it amazing what salvations do for groups of people? Isn't it amazing what testimonies do for groups of people? I have worked with grumpy Christians my whole life, and there's nothing that silences a grumpy Christian faster than new life. Most churches die, most churches implode when they start trying to make each other happy, and they forget that our primary mission is not to build each other up, which is a call and part of our desire as a church, but our primary mission is to seek and save that which is lost. Amen? And when we lose the primary mission, I will guarantee you Mission View will have a clock in which God will say, I am done with this movement because this movement has lost their primary mission. Not Mission View. Never Mission View. I mean, your church name is Mission View. Mission View can't close when your church name is Mission View. But it's easy to do, isn't it? We lose sight of our mission. Talk more about that in a minute. So here's what's happening. People, Jews and Greeks, were now being baptized, Jews and Gentiles. In verse 18, the text says, when they heard this, they had no further objections and they praised God, saying, so then, God has granted even the Gentiles repentance unto life. But here's where it gets interesting. Verse 19, we see another servant that we want to talk about. First servant is Peter. Next servant is this. Now, those who had been scattered, they don't even have names. We don't know who those people are. They are nameless people. By the persecution connected with Stephen. Don't have a ton of time to get into this. Stephen was a chosen servant of the Lord. Stephen loved Jesus with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. Stephen came to a place in his life where he was preaching, 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 living, 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 living. The people said, if you don't be silent, we're going to silent you. You know what he did? He kept preaching, didn't he? Amen, amen, amen. I don't even like when people don't like me. It silences me. Little on, someone picking up a stone saying, if you keep preaching, this will be your death. Praise Jesus for people like Stephen that are still alive to this day that preach no matter what. Spirit of service. 
So because of that, the church scattered. Some say they scattered intentionally. Some say they scattered out of fear. We'll talk about that next week, how this all works. But there were those who had been scattered by the persecution in connection with fear. They traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch. They headed north. And this and this, telling the message only to Jews. It's an important idiom there that we got to get our minds around. What's happening is there were Jews that saw what was happening. There were Jews that believed what was happening. They saw Gentiles being baptized. They saw Gentiles coming to Jesus. They headed north, but the text says they shared only the message only to Jews. So in some ways, there's a group of people that went north and they only shared with Jews. And I want to share with you another group of people we want to see this morning in verse 20. Some of them, let's bring them over here. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, again, men up north, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks, also telling them, but notice what the text says, telling them not just the message, but telling them the good news about Jesus. Church, you see the difference? Because you got to see the difference. Because that difference is a game changer this morning. The Jews saw. The Jews believed. The Jews are radically impressed. The Jews said they want to continue this message. So you know who the Jews went to? The Jews went to other Jews. And the text says they only shared the message about what was happening. They, they, they informed the same people that look like them, smell like them, act like them, talk like them about the message of what God had done. In some ways, I say, good for you. A, service, a servant saying, I'm willing to go forward, but church, I don't want to be associated with those people. You know who I want to be associated with? I want to be associated with these men in verse 20. Man, look at this. Some of them, oh, isn't it fun when your name's not even mentioned? Church, are you okay living your entire life with no one knowing your name? Are you okay being nothing more than a footnote to someone's story? Nothing more than a kind of at the bottom of their story, oh, by the way, they knew this person. Oh, by the way, this person shared Jesus with them. We have a mentor in my life, his name is Paul Bartwith. And Paul Bartwith likes to stand up and he likes to go, I'm quoted in the most printed book in human history outside the Bible. And we sit there with all these young leaders and they're sitting there going, gosh, I don't really know who you are. And we know outside the Bible, uh, Rick Warren's Purpose Driven Life is the most printed book in human history outside the Bible. And, and we're looking at this guy going, well, you don't look like Rick Warren. You don't sound like Rick Warren. You definitely don't have the bank account of Rick Warren. And he said, you know, on page like blah, 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 and chapter blah, 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 Rick Warren goes, it was at this time in my life that someone stood up and they shared with me the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul says, I'm nothing more than a footnote. Nothing more than a little star at the bottom of a no-name chapter on a no-name page. And he looks at us, he says, are you okay being a footnote to someone else's story? Church, this is what these men in chapter 20 give us. Some of them, some of these men, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, they went to Antioch and began to speak to the Greeks. And listen to what they told them. They told them, what is it? Say it with me. The 
good news about Jesus. Oh, church, I, could, I don't even know how much time I have. I always have more messages than minutes. I'll work on it. They gave them not just a message of what had happened. They gave them the good news about Jesus. Church, I don't know your story. I don't know where you're at with Jesus. But if you're a child of God, you've had an encounter with the living, active God that chose you at just the right time to put your trust in him, the purpose of your life, more to the story of what you live. It is not about how much money you make. It's, it's not about the mirrors that you have. It's, it's not about, I got my little minions here. It's not about the minions called the kids that we're trying to raise, which I love you minions, by the way. It's about the primary mission that God has given us, which is share the good news of Jesus Christ to every man, woman, and child. I fear that the church today is over here with the Jews in the text. Oh, we like to talk about what God's doing. We like to talk about who God is. We like to inform people about our church. We like to inform people about the next best podcast. We like to inform people about the next hottest worship song and the next best worship gathering and the next best and the next best and the next best. We like to talk around each other. We like to share our stories with each other. We like to have holy huddles all the time. We call them small groups all this wonderful time. But these people over here, these these men of faith, people that we don't even know said, I'm not just going to tell you about what is happening. I'm going to give you an opportunity to come to know Jesus Christ. Church, when's the last time that you told someone about the loving grace of Jesus in your life? I don't think anybody wakes up in the morning and goes, man, I would love to spend my entire day today and not tell anybody about Jesus. I don't think any of us want to get to the end of our life and go, I hope the sum total of my life is that nobody ever comes to Jesus because of me. None of us want that. The reality is Satan sometimes has us so disillusioned, so discouraged, so downcast that we spend the sum total of our life talking about the things versus sharing about the main thing, which is Jesus Christ. Is that an amen or a ugh? Church, we okay? You only have me for one more week, so we're good. We're good. Verse 20. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene went to Antioch and began to speak to the Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand, verse 21, the Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. Oh, I mean, this will preach all day. Church, I wonder, oh gosh, we got to stop. I, I'm going to land this ship, I promise, at some point. I wonder if we're not seeing a lot of people come to faith in our circles of influence because we're telling the story of what God is doing to each other. And so we're wondering why no one's coming to Jesus around us because all we're doing is telling each other about what God is doing around us. But the people that need to know Jesus are over here and we need to stop telling the story to them and start telling Jesus to them and then the hand of the Lord will be on us and then multiple people will come to know Jesus. You see how it works? You see the two different people? That's what we're dealing with here. So this is awesome. We got to move on. Verse 22. The news of this reached the ears of the church. Everyone say, doo, 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 right? Don't actually say that. It's good. This is what kind of got scary. The church sometimes does not know what to do with this kind of good news. 
The church sometimes doesn't know what to do when a group of people begin to start doing things outside the line. The church sometimes doesn't know what to do when all of a sudden we get to a place where we're doing things that it hasn't always been done. So the church, the news reached the ears of the church of Jerusalem, the mothership. So what they did is, they did what any good church is going to do. They didn't shut it down. They sent Barnabas to Antioch just to get a glimpse of what's going on. The third servant, the fourth servant in the story is Barnabas. Verse 23, when he arrived and saw the evidence of the grace of God, it says he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus, and he said, I want to begin to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. Church, I'm so thankful for the ministry of Barnabas. We know him as a son of encouragement. We know him as a, a man full of, full of the spirit. What does, it, what does the text say? He was a man, he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. What a great epitaph to put on a tombstone, amen? But what I love about Barnabas in this story is that Barnabas had an open posture a servant posture, a servant leader that showed up and he didn't show up ready to condemn. He didn't show up ready to shut down. He didn't, he didn't show up ready to criticize. He showed up with an open servant posture to say, God, if this is of you, make it known to me. God, if this is of you, give me a peace that surpasses understanding. He showed up not with a critical spirit, but he showed up with a, a spirit ready to build up instead of tear down. Listen to you, how many Barnabases do you have in this church right now? Can I tell you, sitting in churches around the world today, we do not have a lot of Barnabases. We have leaders, elders, deacons, pastors that have some of the harshest, most critical spirits I've ever seen. That are quenching the Holy Spirit left and right because churches are doing things a little outside the norm. They're not just telling the news to the Jews. They're actually bringing the good news of Jesus to the Gentiles. And the church sometimes doesn't know what to do with it, so they shut it down. Some of you in here, I believe, have been shut down by the church before. And on behalf of the church, I just want to say sorry. The church of Jesus Christ is 99.9% .9 made up of Real people living real lives with a real need for grace. Yet sometimes leaders like myself have the audacity to think that we know exactly what to do, when to do it, and how to do it. The same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is the same Holy Spirit that's in every single one of you that calls in the name of Jesus. God forbid any leader in this church to try to quench what it is God is trying to do in your life. Amen? Whole nother message, we gotta move on. Barnabas and Saul gathered together, and we're going to talk about the strategy that God used bringing Barnabas to this place. It wasn't by accident that Barnabas was actually from Cyprus. It's not by coincidence that Saul was actually at the time teaching in Tarsus, and many believed he was actually already teaching to the Gentiles. 
And isn't it, isn't it just like God to bring the perfect leadership team at just the right time to the right place in the right situation to see what God's going to do to do a new thing? Church, this morning, there is a man named Peter that tasted and saw the Lord was good. He ran, he hid, he failed, he was restored, he was redeemed. And during that time, there was a young leader named Stephen that gave everything for Jesus. To the cross, to the end of a rock, he gave it all. And after that, a man named Peter was given a, a dream, a fierce follower of Jesus. Find yourself in the story. Are you Stephen this morning? Are you a young person that is so in love with Jesus, ready to take the world by storm, waiting to give whatever it takes? Don't stop. Don't stop. Be willing to count the cost. Take the gospel to the least and the last of these in the name of Jesus. But in both these stories, be ready to pay the price for it. Be ready to give your life. Be ready to give your popularity. Be ready to give your bank account. Be ready to give everything. But can I promise you this morning it's worth it? Amen? So Peter, a servant leader, receives. Stephen, a servant leader, sacrifices. Again, God does not give up on Peter. A strategic move by God. Upon you I'll build my church. He returns to Peter. Gives Peter incredible vision. A dream. Church, some of you are Peter in here. Some of you have been following Jesus for years upon years upon years. You have declared, I will do whatever it takes for you, Jesus, but you're still following a certain mold. You're still following a certain mannerism. You're still not ready or willing or think you're not able to take the gospel to the people that don't look like you, smell like you, or act like you. And just like Jesus did with Peter, out of his grace, he gave Peter a new dream. And he said, I know you're not going to get this, so I'm going to give you a dream. Some of you, church, I believe, need to dream again. You need to wake up to what God has been trying to tell you. Coworkers, neighbors, friends, loved ones that you say, I don't know how to reach you. I don't know what to say to you. Can I tell you what to say to them? Tell them your story. This is my story. This is my song. I'm praising my Savior Jesus all the day long. Do you know him? Can I tell you more about him? This is Peter's moment. And it goes from Peter's servant, and he calls in some men. Some went this way, and they didn't fully get it. I want to be mad at the Jews this morning. I'm not mad at the Jews. I'm not mad at these men that only went to the Jews. Why? Because they did what they've always been taught. They did exactly what they've always known to do. But I stand amazed at the group of men in verse 20, these servant leaders, that they went to a distinct group of people and they gave them the good news of Jesus. And finally, there's Barnabas and Saul, six servant leaders this morning. Find yourself in one of their stories. But the sum total of all their stories it's about doing whatever it takes to see people have multiple opportunities to say yes or no to Jesus Christ. <clears throat> I'm thankful for leaders that are willing to lead with a posture of grace. Church, as I look around this auditorium right now, 
I see you, but in many ways I see beyond you. Because around you are five to six to seven to ten people right now in your lives that if they were to die right now, it's been eternity apart from God. I see you, but I see beyond you. A number of years ago, there was a young boy moved about 7,000 miles, about 5,000 miles to a unique foreign country. He was scared, a little insecure, a little overwhelmed. At the same time that God moved this young man to this country, he had moved a few years earlier uh, a Barnabas. <laughs> and he moved a Barnabas about two doors down from this young man. And this young man was scared, he was overwhelmed, he was insecure, he was trying to navigate a foreign language, he was trying to navigate, trying to do life in a foreign culture. culture. And, and this, this Barnabas became this young man's Sunday school teacher. And for the next few years, this young man asked this Barnabas leader multiple copious amounts of questions. So every week, every week, Barnabas would get back to me and say, I don't know your questions. I don't, I don't know your answers, but I promise to get back to you. And week after week after week, this man would get back to me. And he'd get back to me. And every time he got back to me, no matter what he said, he always directed it to Jesus. The same man would find himself down at the local playground with this young man and for hours upon hours teach him how to shoot a free throw, do life together, listen to him, take, take rebounds and pass it back, doing life. He looked for people. He saw people. He loved people. And he led people to Jesus. Hours upon hours, a Fortune 500 leader, multiple travel dates, but he'd find himself at the local park just shooting basketball after basketball after basketball. A few years later, this young man came back to the States and he found himself at a church over on Arlington Road in Ohio. What in the world? Found himself into this youth ministry. Very overwhelmed, not knowing what to do, insecure, doesn't like life, feeling scared. Now he learned the European way. Now he's having to learn the American way. Where do I fit in this world? Where do I fit in? God brought a Barnabas into his life. A Barnabas that gave him, that, that looked for him and listened to him and led him to Jesus. He looked for him, he listened to him, he led him to Jesus. This Barnabas, this time on a Arlington Road Wendy's in a corner booth, I'll always remember it. This Barnabas had the audacity to look in this young man's eyes and say, you have every ability and gift and talent to be a wonderful pastor. This young man looked at him, I think he was driving a 1984 Honda Civic at the time, and I went, do you think I want that life? I had a dream for my life. I had a plan for my life. But God will always bring people into our lives at the right time, not with a message about the church, but a message about Jesus. I stand here today as that young man. That young man living in Europe was, that Barnes at that time was 
a man named Don Anderson, an elder at Maranatha still to this day, that loved me and looked for me and listened to me. I came home from the States and that youth pastor was your own pastor, Steve Marshall. He loved me. He looked at me. And he led me to Jesus. Everywhere I speak, everywhere I go, I'm a sum total of every single person that's spoken to my life, these footnotes in my life to this day. And church, the invitation this morning as the worship team comes out and gets ready to lead us in this final song, the final exhortation this morning is that church, you have a story to tell. You have a story to offer the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You have a story. It's a unique story. And in all of your life, there is someone right now that needs to be seen. Look for them. They need to be listened to, so listen. They need to be loved, so love. But church, don't stop there. Be like these servant leaders in verse 20. Don't just tell them about the church. Don't just tell them about, tell them about the good news of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen? By way of closing benediction before I fall off the stage, has anybody ever fallen off? No? Not yet. I would be the first. I'm not going to be the first. There is a hymn that a lot of us, if you grew up in the church, you may know. And it's a hymn that we have sung probably a thousand times. And in some ways, we've sung that hymn being like the Jew on the one side that says, we're going to sing it together as a church, and we're going to celebrate. This is my story. This is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. And it's a powerful message. It's a powerful reality. But church, the song was not meant to stay in the church. The song was meant not for each other to go, it is my story, it's your story, rah, rah, rah. The story was meant for every man, woman, and child that will never find themselves into this church. My story is strategically placed at the strategic time to be part of someone else's story this morning. You can only reach the people that are right in front of you. You can only reach the people that you can reach. I can't reach them. Our job is to tell the story. Jesus' job is to save. So this morning, I want to invite you. I want to invite you to right now in this moment, I want to ask you to think about the person in your life right now. That if they were far from Jesus, if there was, if there was a, a fierce accident in their life, Right now, they'd spend eternity apart from Jesus. And when you get that person, those people in your mind, would you stand? Get them in your mind. Think about them. What do they look like? What are their names? Who are they? Do you see them? Look for them. This week, look for them. This week, listen. Listen. They're probably annoying. Listen. 
they're, they're probably angry. Listen. They probably don't vote the same way you do. Listen. They don't spend money the same way you do. Listen. They don't have the same marriage as you. Listen. They don't raise the kids the same way you do. Listen. They drink things you don't drink. They look at things you don't look at. Listen. Look for them. Listen to them. Ready? Love them. greatest opportunity in life that you will never regret is to lead them to the good news of Jesus Christ. This is our story. This is our song. Praising our Savior all the day long.